Welcome to the Content Strategy Experts podcast brought to you by Scriptorium. Since 1997, Scriptorium has helped companies manage, structure, organize, and distribute content in an efficient way. In episode 36, we talk about lightweight data and more with Dr. Carlos Avia and Michael Priestley. This is the second of two podcasts featuring these special guests. In the previous episode, we were talking about the development of lightweight data and how you were able to kind of test it and make sure that it works. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Uh, Carlos organized a, a, a study with his students seeing whether the basic communication uh, issues that data was designed to solve uh, came through and were, were, you know, continued to be solvable for students who were working in an HTML5 platform as opposed to an XML platform. And uh, uh, Carlos, I, if you want to sort of take, take the baton back on that. Yeah, uh, when when Michael and I started talking about where do we take this theoretical idea of lightweight data, I started talking to my students about uh, the HTML5 version of data. And my students had, in this class had never seen XML, so they didn't know anything about XML. And for them, uh, the HTML version of lightweight data was the only way that they knew on how to create these chunks of information and create the maps that will organize them. And the experience was very similar to what I have in my more advanced classes when I was teaching data through XML. So what that proved is that in, in this small class uh, that I had, I cannot make generalizations that it works for everybody. But in the case that Michael and I were studying, it proved to a degree that the students were getting a similar experience working with HTML5-based lightweight data than what my students in more advanced classes will get with full data XML. And I should add, I think, if I recall correctly, the uh, the students that you were working with actually mapped to one of the sort of the target audiences for lightweight data. That is, uh, you know, developers or, or, you know, subject matter expert types whose main job wouldn't be authoring content, but who might have sort of a, a side responsibility uh, feeding content into uh, other streams. Does that sound, am I remembering right? Yes, that is correct. Uh, whereas in my advanced classes, the students who take uh, creating user documentation are students who probably want to be technical communicators. In this experiment, we had students who were mainly from engineering and sciences who were taking one introductory technical writing course. So they probably will not be technical communicators after graduation, but they will be the subject matter experts that will occasionally have to make a contribution to a content repository. And that actually goes really well into what I wanted to talk about next, which is you know the intended or target audience for lightweight data. And we've seen several clients in this kind of situation that you're describing where they are very heavy on subject matter experts for their content contributors, or they maybe have kind of a split where they've got some people who are full-time content creators, but they do have a significant number of uh, subject matter experts as well, or in some cases even volunteer authors, and they have to figure out how to bring all of those people together and bring all that content together in, in a way that makes sense for them. Um, so I, I wanted to ask if you've seen kind of any patterns or if you have sort of ideas about you know particular types of organizations that might benefit from something like Lightweight Ditta. We did some work in the subcommittee when Michael and others, I was not part of the subcommittee then, 
started planning where we're going to go with lightweight data. We, they, they started doing an audience analysis, and that's when I joined. And we identified different sectors in, in industry and nonprofits and in, in academia that could use the different flavors of lightweight data. So, for example, I'm not going to tell you that everybody who is going to use Markdown to create these chunks of information and maps is also going to use XML. Because as Michael said, you know, the silos sometimes are there for a reason and people write in the language that they prefer. And we don't want to force people to write in XML, HTML, and Markdown. So we have identified some audiences that use already use XML, like technical communicators, technical information developers. And uh, we have identified audiences who already use HTML5, like marketing writers, uh, bloggers, people who develop content for the web. And we have identified audiences who write in Markdown, including uh, software developers, that can create these topics and maps and organize them in the language that they prefer and they don't have to learn a new language. And another thing that we have identified is that by using Markdown and HTML5, we also make the process of creating content in data more attractive to non-English speaking authors who find XML too verbose and they have to memorize and remember how to spell short desk for short description. And instead, in, in lightweight data, they can use Markdown or HTML5 to represent those things. So, Michael, what else can you say about the audiences that we want to uh, address with lightweight data? Yeah, uh, I think you, you summarized a lot of it. We, we did some audience analysis. I'll add that what, a lot of it was about what people brought to the subcommittee. So, you know, we, we didn't try to do audience analysis for um, audiences that we didn't have representation for. Uh, but we had some vendors and consultants on the call who had worked with uh, uh, marketing uh, implementations of data and training implementations of data, as well as, um, you know, working with uh, technical communication with SME connections. And so those those were sort of the three main ones that we sort of pursued forward. And uh, uh, so, we, you know, we tested out uh, or, you know, spinoff activities focused on uh, testing the markup standards that we were creating uh, with marketing content that was real marketing content and real scenarios and the same with training content and uh, training specializations uh, within the lightweight standard. And that was our sort of way of making sure that we weren't uh, eliminating features that were uh, necessary for the adoption of lightweight data in those in those industries. And I mean, it's interesting because I mean, we were using existing data implementations in those industries uh, as examples, uh, or, you know, as our, as sort of our foothold, but it was also about recognizing that there were, there were larger opportunities in learning and training and in marketing beyond the sort of the footholds that did it establish there, where there really were some, uh, some resistance, uh, or there really was some resistance that we, we wanted to address, uh, with, by, by simplifying and diversifying the standards. Right. And that resistance is definitely something that we have encountered plenty of times and we've gone in to sort of help organizations figure out where to go with their strategies. Uh, and that's kind of what I want to talk about next is some different possible scenarios for organizations that might be kind of considering going to something structured. Uh, so let's say we've got a, a company that's saying we know we want to go structure. We're looking at, you know, whether we should adopt the full data standard or lightweight data 
what are some of the factors that you would, would think could help them decide which might be a better fit for them? So I would say, um, I mean, realistically, that one factor right now just has to be that, um, you know, full data is, is a lot more mature, right? Lightweight data is still very, you know, it's, it's a very recent committee note. Uh, and there are some tools that they're already mm -hmm. supporting it. Uh, but if you, you know, if you're, if you're looking for a full end to end mature implementation right now, you have to be looking at full data. That said, if you've got a requirement that full data cannot meet and lightweight data does, like you need to be working with Markdown or you need to be working, uh, with HTML5, uh, then, you know, be an early adopter. Uh, that, that, that's, you know, that's how we're going to grow. Uh, so, you know, the other point is that I don't think it's necessarily an either or. There may very well be cases where uh, you've got someone or you've got a team that's using full data for the technical communications and they need to work with SMEs who are not willing to move to XML. And so you move to lightweight data markdown for them, coexisting with a full data technical communication implementation that uses the more mature tooling. And that should work. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're, again, you're going to be working with um, you know, early phase tooling, uh, but, uh, you know, there, there are, there are pathways through the data open toolkit, for example, that allow those, uh, or if you've got SMEs that are willing to work in XML and need a, a lightweight authoring system, there are already XML vendors, uh, offering vendors who are, you know, supporting the lightweight standard. So that's an option as well. And as we continue to work on the lightweight data standard, our hope is that we're going to get, uh, software developers and vendors interested and they're going to create tools that will allow people to use whatever they want if the situation the specific situation that an organization has their content needs can be solved or satisfied with hdata or mdata that's perfect but many of the existing tools are also implementing modules for the adoption of lightweight data and that means that if you start on mdata or hdata and you realize that you need more structure, that you need more power, you can do a quite uh, pain, painless transition to full data. I don't want to promise that it's going to be, in, there's not going to be pain involved, but there will be some conversion, <laughs> but it will not be like, say, going from Microsoft Word to full data, because you already will be thinking in the terms of topics and the specific uh, elements or components that we want to include in all the lightweight data flavors that you can just go ahead and transform or convert to data without a lot of pain. Yeah, and I'll reinforce that without a lot of pain point uh, that, I mean, the goal here is uh, that everything in lightweight data really is a proper subset of what's in full data. And there's, I think, there's only a, a three elements that we've even done specialization with and uh, or sorry, two elements. And those ones are on track as well to be become part of the main data standard as well. So the the you know, if you're working just with the out of the, out of the box standard, the transition should be completely painless. Uh, like literally, it's a matter of changing one line at the top of your file to say stop validating against lightweight data, start validating validating against full data. All of a sudden, your editor it's an XML editor. Uh, will give you gives you more options. Um, the, if you've done specialization to sort of create more specific types or, or semantics in, in your content, then you will have to just provide an equivalent module in full data in order to provide a migration target. But it's it's still 
not rocket science. It's uh, it's if you're if you're used to working in Dita and working with content in different specializations, this is no no different than that. But something important though is that right now, as of today, if you want to be an early adopter and start working with lightweight Dita, you will find more pain than we anticipated because the tools are not there yet. But you can start working on lightweight Dita today. But if you want to wait. Uh, we are hopeful that by next year there will be a better integration of the lightweight data authoring formats into existing data tools and also into existing HTML5 and Markdown tools that are going to allow and enable the creation of topics and maps in lightweight data. Right, and that the the whole idea of being an early adopter kind of goes along with a podcast we did pretty recently about risk management and risk overall, uh, and that that's definitely a, a good example of that. That you know, if you're going to be adopting something a, a standard like this, and you're going to be one of the first adopters of it, then there is that risk, you know, of, of encountering issues and and encountering pain points. Uh, but there could also be substantial reward for you as well if you try it out and it does work. And uh, and so that's, that's a really good and interesting point to bring up is that this is, this is kind of a, a time where you might, if you're looking at your own strategy, if you're looking at your own position and you realize, you know, we are in a position where we can try something new with minimal risk to where things are now, then that might be a, a good reason to consider it. And I'll add a very selfish sort of reason on our side. Uh, it's the early adopters who are going to help <laughs> us validate and revise the, 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 the standard as it develops. So if, um, you know, and to flip the selfishness again, I'm just going to keep juggling these motivations. Uh, if, you, if you become an early adopter, uh, you actually have, uh, I think, in some respects, a better chance that the eventual standard will support, support your requirements because you are actually directly and early on engaging with those requirements. And, you know, we, we want that feedback. We'll engage with you and, and, and be very, uh, very interested to hear. Uh, so there, there is that advantage to being an early adopter that you get a little bit of glory and you get a little bit of visibility and uh, you get some influence. So another point is that everything that we do in the subcommittee and OASIS is open. So it has to be approved, not just by the DITA technical committee, but we make it open to the general public for approval and comments. So if you and your organization are interested in lightweight DITA, you can follow the development of the proposed standard and give us your feedback, give us your input as you uh, early adopt. And if you see any bumpy points and you want us to notice that, you can comment you can send us feedback and we will take it seriously we have the, the responsibility of commenting and addressing all the feedback that we receive from the general public and i'll add one more thing that uh, um, in addition to being sort of open in the sense of transparent we're also in open in the sense that anyone can join so uh, if you're willing to become an oasis member uh, which uh, has has a varying fee structure depending upon whether you're a large company becoming a member as a company down to sort of an individual just wanting to be involved as an individual. Uh, but, uh, you know, the lightweight data subcommittee in particular, you know, we're made up of some people from large companies, some individual consultants, uh, some people in between. And, uh, um, you know, it's a mix of vendors and users and, and consultants. And we're, we're very interested in having more people who can help us 
Uh, and it doesn't, you don't have to be a super techie person. You know, we've, we've got some super techie people, but people with real business problems and business requirements who are working with the content, uh, just as important. And, uh, we, we, you know, we welcome any, anyone who's interested to, uh, to, to get more involved. So I think we have time for just one more question. And, um, I want to ask what each of you envisions happening with both DITA and lightweight DITA in the future. What kind of path do you see both of those standards going on? So uh, certainly the hope is that over time we'll add uh, add to the standard sort of from our side and, you know, create some additional mappings, create potentially an easier platform for specialization based on the sort of simplest starting point. Uh, but uh, from the user standpoint, really what i'm and i'm i'm you know i'm really involved as a user i'm i'm not a i'm not representing any any ibm products i'm not representing any ibm consulting services i'm interested in what did it can do for my clients within ibm who are authoring content in, in various disciplines within the company and what i'm really excited about there is the possibility of opening up content sharing and collaboration and uh getting to the point where we can plug and play different tools across different life cycles and really get to the point where we can support uh, a coordinated, collaborative uh, content lifecycle within IBM that uh, supports the end-to-end customer journey uh, outside of IBM. And uh, for me, I think lightweight data is sort of one of the missing pieces uh, in terms of having a content standard that can operate not only across uh, technology platforms, but also across uh, markup uh, formats. From my part, I have been teaching introductory data for about 10 or 12 years. And when I first talk about it with students at any level, graduate students, undergraduates, even, you know, 2000 level courses, when I talk about it and I present the potential and actual benefits of implementing data to solve content problems, the students get very excited. But when we start working with it, there's a certain level of geekiness that is expected of those early lessons when we start working with data, when they have to understand the concept of the data open toolkit, or they have to understand what is behind an editor that you're using to create your topics and your maps. What I hope that happens with lightweight data and the future of data and data 2.0 is that the tools that allow that early introduction to the standard are easier, speak the language that the users will speak, that I even, you know, even work on mobile devices or tablets, you know, immediately without any major modification, and that people have the power to create their content and organize it, structure it, and then publish it in different ways to address their, their specific needs. So that's what I would like to see, that this barrier of, okay, now you are certified and now you're okay to work with DITA, becomes lower and becomes easier to get into and you don't have to be uh, like when you go on a roller coaster ride you have to be this tall to ride you have to be this geeky to use data so i want that to to happen with lightweight data and that would definitely i i think change the way people decide to adopt data or not uh because we see that learning curve very very steep right now and and kind of being an impediment to people trying to decide you know do i want to adopt data or not is it the right time to adopt data or not 
that's definitely, I think, one thing that people bump up against is, you know, are we geeky enough to learn how to use this? And there is a lot of resistance that happens when people first start learning it and, and a lot of confusion, I think. So that's a really good point about how, you know, hopefully in the future over time, that barrier will, will become a lot lower. And one other quick thought, just that, uh, you know, Carlos is spot on with it. You know, removing the geek barrier to, to working with it is, is a key advantage here. Uh, or hopefully <laughs> as, as, as sort of the tools that evolve to support the, uh, uh, the standard. Uh, and there's also, you know, just going back to that core value proposition for full data, that it's about, you know, it's structured content and it's reusable across contexts and new contexts and new channels keep emerging, right? We're looking at cognitive chatbots now. We're looking at voice as a, as a channel. So, so, you know, the value of having future proof content is huge. And lightweight data is really just a way of expanding the pool of content that can buy into that future vision and, uh, you know, sort of have some future proofing as, as part of its, uh, you know, structural investment. All right. Any final thoughts from either of you? Well, lightweight data is not going to solve all the content problems in the world. I want to be clear about that. It's just going to be one of many available options. It's going to be an open standard. It, you can implement Lightweight Data now or in the future without a lot of money, or you can go crazy and invest a lot of money and get a lot out of it. But it's not the only option available. It's not going to replace full Data XML. There will be some instances, many instances, in which Lightweight Data is not going to be that powerful. But again, if you realize that you need something different, you have many options. So we don't want to force feed lightweight data into anybody's organization. I have seen people who claim that I'm already using my specific flavor of markdown and I'm very happy doing this. Why would I adopt uh, lightweight data? And the answer is you don't have to. Take a look at it, see if it works for you, see if it allows you to interact with a new dimension of users or developers that you want to share content with. But if it doesn't work for you, then you can stay where you are. So it's not solving all the problems. That's not, a, that's not the promise. Yep. And the other thing I'll add is that uh, it is just a tool. Uh, so, well, actually it's a standard for tools. <laughs> so uh, it's, even, it's not even just a tool. Uh, so a lot is going to depend on uh, how the tool developers work with it, but even more is going to depend on what the people driving the adoption in an organization do to prepare for it. And if you start with, you know, a full analysis of what your requirements are, where you want content to flow, what your content strategy is, how it's going to map to, uh, you know, business, you know, goals for your company and uh, sort of, you know, value for your users, that that's what you need to go in. And then did a hopefully and lightweight data hopefully can be uh, available to you as options in implementing those requirements. But it, it's not going to come and solve your requirements before you know what they are. Right. And, and there really is, kind of as both of you are saying, no one-size-fits-all solution for every problem. So it really is just a matter of evaluating your specific needs and seeing what's the best fit for solving the problems that you have. Right. We're trying to solve more kinds of problems than full data uh, was doing, but that doesn't mean we're trying to solve every kind of problem. Yeah. And there are some individuals and organizations that, you know, 
they don't even know the progress that they have. So if I show up and say, here's lightweight data, if you have not identified those problems, that's not going to help you. All right. Well, thank you both so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you. And thank you to everyone for listening to the Content Strategy Experts podcast brought to you by Scriptorium. For more information, visit scriptorium.com or check the show notes for relevant links.